Welcome to church this morning. Please stand for the call to worship. You'll find it printed on the inside of your bulletin. Mighty God, we do not yet see the glory you plan for all humankind, but in faith we do see Jesus. We thank you. We praise you that he freed us from our sin, that he comforts and strengthens us through our struggles, and that he gives us courage to follow him. Father God, thank you for this snowy morning to come before you in worship. I pray that as we draw near to you today, that you will make yourself known and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seating. seated.
Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. It is great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today, and there are just a few things I want to highlight uh, in the life of the church. Uh, this Saturday, I will be uh, hosting a baptism class. I know there are some uh, students at the academy who are wanting to be baptized, and we're going to do the baptism on Sunday night, January 20th, uh, but we'll be having a class this Saturday, and if you're interested in being baptized, uh, please attend the class. This does not preclude us doing baptism on Easter morning. But uh, we'll do that as well. But uh, this is uh, just another opportunity for baptism. So please note that Saturday morning at 11. Uh, We also have some opportunities for being involved in Wednesday evening ministries with children. And as you see, there's information in the bulletin related to that. Uh, There are also a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, things related to us locally here as well as things around the world. And we ask for God's grace in each of those situations. And please note that uh, we have one more Sunday of a 10 o'clock service. And then uh, beginning on the 20th, we go back to our regular schedule of three worship services on Sunday morning. It is always a joy to have the opportunity to dedicate our children to God. And we have the opportunity to do so again this morning. And he's excited about it. That got his attention. Good. Mike and Amanda, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your own faith in Jesus Christ and your desire that he receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God and thus doing may live and die a Christian, attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Grayson Michael Cox, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, every time we dedicate our children to God, this is uh, 
bringing together of a threefold covenant that is surrounding this little one. The base of, of this covenant is God. And we know that God is promised to be at work in his life and is already at work in his life and will always be so. And Mike and Amanda have, have made their commitment as parents to, through the grace of God, do everything in their power to help him know Christ and to be nurtured in the faith. But we also have a responsibility, a serious and important responsibility. We will have opportunity to interact with Grayson in a variety of ways, just around the church and, uh, or in a class or in the nursery or in a variety of settings. And his image of God will be shaped a lot by what he sees from us as God's people. And so I want to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to him and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Grayson grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him to know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for the gift of children. We know how important children are to you. And we especially thank you today for Grayson. Thank you for bringing him into this world. Thank you for bringing him to this congregation. And we pray, Father, today for your grace in his life. We know that that you are already drawing him to yourself and helping him to know your love and mercy and goodness. And we pray, Father, that as he gets older, he will respond to all that you have done for him with an open heart and an open mind and an open spirit. Father, we pray that as we dedicate him to you today, that his heart will always be turned to you And that the desire of his heart will be always to follow you with every part of his being. Father, we pray for Mike and Amanda and ask that you would give them the grace that they need as parents. Help them, Father, to to have patience and and love and compassion and, and all that they need to help Grayson know what it means to live for you in this world. So work in their lives that he sees you in them. And I pray, Father, for Evelyn and ask that you would help her to be the kind of big sister that leads Grayson to faith in you as well. And that you will bless her life and watch over her and that she will be a godly witness to her little brother. Thank you, Father, for this young life and for your grace and mercy upon him. We give him to you today, Father, and we anticipate all that you are going to do in him and through him. And we pray all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good boy. You can find this on page 87 of your Pew Bibles. 
I'll be reading from verse 12 to the final verse, verse 23. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Yeah. 
You may be seated. At this time, we'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
Let's just spend a few moments praying together. Altar rail is open. If you'd like to use this as your place of prayer, please join me. Father, we come to you today recognizing our brokenness, our struggles, our pain, our hurt, our sin. We come today from a week that has had ups and downs and joys and struggles. And it feels sometimes as if life puts us in the middle of a whirlwind. And then we're reminded that despite everything going on in us and around us, despite all of the changes and the struggles and the difficulties, we are reminded that you are the same. That in all the seasons of the year, in all the seasons of our lives, you are the same. You're the God of mercy and power and grace. And you are with us. Father, we come today and and we just pour out our hearts to you, knowing that you hear us, that you love us, that you want to do more in us than we could dream or imagine. And we're here before you. Father, there are all kinds of things that burden us. We think about people who are struggling with illness and pain, some at the point of death. We know the the sting of grief. We know the pain of being hurt by others. We know the the struggle of relationships that are not what we wish they would be. Lord, we pray that you will be evident and real in each situation and that you will bring healing and comfort and grace as only you can bring it. We pray for this world in which we live of so much pain and heartache and famine and disease and war and violence and greed. And we ask for your mercy to bear upon our world. We pray that you will 
you will heal. That you will bring peace. That you will allow your people to be a voice for justice and mercy and compassion and truth. And Father, as we embark on a new year, we pray that you will help us to leave behind all of the things that entangle us and hold us back and to look forward to you and all that you desire to do in our lives and in this church and in our world. Give us hope about the year ahead, not because of us, but because of you. And fill us with your grace to believe that you are at work and let us trust you. Father, we know that you love us, that you always hear us. Give us faith to trust your answers, whatever they may be, as right and good and best, because we know that you love us more than we will ever love ourselves. We offer our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Today's New Testament scripture reading comes from Matthew 3, verse 1 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who is spoken through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was, be- he was baptized, by- baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of the... These stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is 
is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love, and with him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we thank you for your love to us and for your grace and mercy in our lives. And uh, we ask that you will help us to understand more of, of your grace to us. Let your word speak deeply into our souls, and we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Our family, when our family gets together, we love to play games. We have, uh, this summer, uh, all of my family was uh, North Carolina, uh, out on the coast, and uh, we spent the day on the beach, and we spent every night all together playing games. And uh, that's typically what happens. Over the holiday break, we were all together, and we spent most of the time throughout every day playing games. Now, through the years, the games have changed. You know, it's gone from... Candyland and Chutes and Ladders and Monopoly Junior to Real Monopoly. Actually, that game came into play pretty quickly as the boys got older. But, uh, you know, Monopolies, Scattergories, uh, and things like that. So now we're playing games, uh, Dominion, Settlers of Catan, Euchre, um, Bananagrams, another game we like to play. And when all of my family gets together, we like to play a game called Four on a Couch. I don't know if you've ever played that game. It's kind of a fun, interesting game to play that I typically, my mind can't handle it. It's too much thinking. But uh, we, you know, we love playing games together. And we've always loved playing games. And most of us like to play games of some kind. When we were children, or even if you are children now, you know, we love to play games out on the playground or in the neighborhood. Play, we would always play sports games a lot, baseball, basketball, football. But we also like playing games like tag. And we love playing hide-and-seek. You know, hide-and-seek. You know, one person is it, and everybody else hides while they close their eyes and count to 100 or whatever. And their go- the goal is the person who's it to find everyone else. Now, when we moved here, I learned uh, an interesting twist on that game called Sardines. You guys know sardines, right? I mean, if you've been in our youth group, you ought to know sardines because the youth group loves to play sardines. Some of you have come to me at times and said, what in the world was going on in the church last night? There were kids running all over, yelling, screaming, giggling, laughing. It was chaos. I said, well, they were probably playing sardines is my guess. And sardines is the opposite. If you're it, you hide and everybody else has to find you. And when they find you, they hide with you until you have this... Space filled with people hiding until the last person finds them. It's sort of like puppies in a, you know, climbing on each other in a little basket. There is something in that idea of the games hide and seek and sardines that we have in our minds about how we think about God. Something in us wants to believe that God is hidden from us, that God is hiding from us. Medieval theologians talked about, about God as deus absconditus, the hidden God. And there is some evidence of that. In the passage we read in Exodus earlier, Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God's response is, I don't think so. But he said, I'll let you see the back of me because you cannot really see me and live. 
And John reiterates that point in the prologue to his gospel. No one can see God and live. And so there is this this sense that we have of, of not really being able to know God. And that's why Epiphany is so important for us. Epiphany is, is a feast day of the church year, January 6th, today. It is a day that celebrates the revelation of God to humanity. It is a day, the word epiphany means manifestation, revelation. It is the day when God reveals himself to humanity. He has been revealing bits and pieces of himself throughout history. And we get that from the prophets. We get it from, from the, the teachings and the law. We get it from the way that he interacts with his people. But it's always bits and pieces. And Epiphany celebrates the coming of Jesus to reveal God fully to human beings. And what's intriguing is that Epiphany is focused on what you might call the first of Jesus' life. They're really around three things. One is the coming of the Magi to, to the Christ child. The first Gentiles to know about the Savior. And how God has revealed himself to not just one race of people, but the whole world. And Epiphany focuses on the first miracle of Jesus. The wedding in Cana of Galilee where he turns the water into wine and and creates this, this stir as we see his first miracle and the power of God to do amazing things. And it celebrates the baptism of Jesus. This moment when Jesus steps into the water and reveals the nature and the character of God. When we talk about the baptism of Jesus, a little trouble with this. We talk about the baptism of Jesus. It goes back to John the Baptist. In the passage we read, John is is out baptizing and he's preaching, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." And people are coming and they are confessing their sins. And as they confess their sins, John baptizes them. It's always about confession of sin. It's always about acknowledging our sin. Which is why John is so irritated with the religious leaders who come not to confess their sin. But just to look and check out John to make sure that he's following the laws the way they think he should. And he says to them, why are you here? Go home. If you don't want to confess your sin, if you don't want to repent, you have no business being here. Just go home. It's all about confessing their sins. Coming to John and realizing they need more. They want more. Their lives are not where they ought to be. And they confess their sins to John. And he takes them into the river and he baptizes them. And here comes Jesus. Jesus comes to John and says, I need to be baptized. And John knows enough about Jesus and says, I don't think so. You ought to be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to baptize me. That's the way it should be. And the scripture says it is to fulfill all righteousness. There's a lot wrapped up in that phrase. But at the very least, it means that that it is is to, to begin the restoration of humanity and of God's creation as the kingdom is ushered in through Christ. It is the first step. 
And Jesus humbles himself and steps into the water. He doesn't need to be baptized. This is about confessing sins. Jesus has no sin to confess. Jesus has nothing wrong to say to John. He's pure. He's perfect. And yet he comes and says, this is how it ought to be. This is the right thing. This is the first step. Gordon MacDonald has a parable that he tells about the baptism of Jesus. And he, he, he imagines the scene uh, at the Jordan River and, and a great line of people waiting to be baptized. And every one of them is wearing a name tag. And on the name tag is their name and their most awful sin. And so you look down the row of people and you see George, coveter, Mary, slanderer, Claudia, murderer, Bob, embezzler, Gordon, adulterer. And you see all these people waiting to be baptized with their most awful sin pinned to them. And here comes Jesus. He has no sin to confess. And instead of walking away, Jesus walks down the row and begins taking the name tags off of everybody lined up and puts them on himself. And people are a little upset about that. I mean, these are pretty bad sins. You know, these are nines and tens on our sin list. And here is the Son of God wearing them all over himself. And he steps into the water and says, now I'm ready to be baptized. And MacDonald says, let me propose that Jesus begins his ministry the same way he ends it. He ends it on the cross, taking upon himself the sins of the world. And he begins it stepping into the water, taking upon himself the sins of the world. And in many ways... Jesus' baptism is a precursor to the cross. It is here that that he takes his first step to the cross. You ponder for a moment, if Jesus isn't willing to, to humble himself and step into the water and be baptized, even though he doesn't deserve all that's, that is connected to baptism, he doesn't need to be baptized And yet he's willing to humble himself and to do that. If he is unwilling to take that step, what would make us think he would be willing to take the step up Calvary Road to the cross? It is the first step of recognizing that that he has come into this world to save human beings from their sins. He has come into this world to usher in the kingdom of God... to to take those first steps and to ultimately bring to fulfillment all that God has designed for his kingdom, for human beings and for all of creation. And it begins as Jesus willingly steps into the water and reveals who God is. That God is the one who comes to save us. God is the one who comes to redeem us. God is the one who takes upon himself our sin. 
You know, back in the 70s, there was a, there was a, a campaign that one of the parachurch organizations started. It was called I Found It. Some of you probably remember that. There was a lot of good that came from that campaign as, as, as it was sort of a, you know, sort of one of those things that, that caught people's attention and then it led to, to talking about Christ and the gospel. And, and a lot of good came out of that, but there are some things about that idea that I, I think send a mistaken message. I mean, first of all, to say I found it implies that that our salvation is about an experience rather than a relationship. At the very least, maybe I found Jesus. I found him. But actually, even that wording, I think, is a misnomer. Because the truth is, it's not about, it's not I found it. It is he found us. Because if anyone's playing hide and seek, it's not God, it's you and me. You think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and when they sin, what's the first thing they do? They run and hide. And when we sin, what's the first thing we do? We cover up, we run and hide, we try to ignore it. And as Jesus steps into the water of baptism, we are reminded that God pursues us when we hide. God doesn't sit back and say, well, if you're going to run and hide, there's nothing I can do about it. You're on your own. He comes after us. He keeps looking for us. He keeps pursuing us. He's dogging us. He's the hound of heaven that never gives up on us. And we see in this image of Jesus taking upon himself the sins of the world, coming into the world and voluntarily and unnecessarily for himself, stepping into the waters of baptism, we are reminded that God is seeking us. We don't have to somehow find him. I think one of the reasons that's a hard concept for us is that is that we so often think that God is seeking us, that we have to find God and that we see God in, in the sensational things of life. We so often think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find God in some ecstatic experience. I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll really know God when something out of the ordinary happens. And the reality is, God, more often than not, works in our lives through the common, everyday Ordinary. God reveals himself at a wedding. God reveals himself in a baptism. And God reveals himself in our homes and in places where we work and in our neighborhoods. And in the stores where we shop, in our relationships, those are the places where God is most at work because that's real life. And God wants to change 
those things. God wants to redeem the common places, the ordinary places of our lives. That's where we see him. I think that's why Jesus says that when you give a cup of cold water to this person, you give it to me. And he says to people, you know, you, you, you fed me, you, you gave me food, you, you clothed me, you, you were there for me. And the disciples say, when? When were we there for you? He says, well, when you gave that person without clothes, clothes. When you gave that person who needed water, water. When you went to visit the people in prison. When you just did the common, ordinary things of life. I was there and you did it for me. And I worked in your life through that. See, we're looking for exponential growth. And sometimes we get some some spurts. But most of the time, our walk with God is about just growth. Small things. Ups and downs. It's about the common, the everyday, not the sensational. In Luke's account of John the Baptist, he's preaching, repent, repent, repent. And and the people come to him and say, what does that mean? What do we do? And you might expect him to say, all right, go fast for 40 days. Go pray without stopping for 24 hours. Read through the whole Bible from beginning to end. Those are all good things to do. They, They can help us. But that's not John's response. John's response is, if you have two coats, give one away to somebody who doesn't have any coat. If you're collecting taxes, don't cheat people. Collect only what you're supposed to collect. And don't use your power to get from people that w- what will help you. Don't take advantage of people because of your power. Just common, everyday, ordinary ways in which God is at work in our lives. In John's gospel, he says, you know you love God because you love one another. If I could paraphrase that, maybe John would be saying, you know that God is at work in your life by the way you treat other people, by your compassion and your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace that looks like Jesus. Because something in our minds wants to believe that if we find Jesus, that means we have somehow been good enough to be a follower of Jesus. We've succeeded enough. We're smart enough. We're spiritual enough. We've got things together enough. And, And I think that's one of the reasons why we wrestle with the whole idea of finding Jesus because it makes us feel like we've done enough. But when we feel that way, 
that's when we tend to get judgmental. And that's when we, we tend to look at other people as people who we can use to get what we want. And that's when we look an awful lot like the Pharisees and the religious leaders who reject Jesus and eventually crucify Jesus. It's not about us finding God. It's about God seeking us. A while back, a few years ago, you might remember Michael Vick was a professional football player was sent to prison because he was running a dogfighting operation out of his home in Virginia. He was a, one of the top players in the National Football League. And when he, as he was preparing to be released from prison, there was all kinds of speculation about whether anybody would put him back on their team, whether he had a, still had a career in football. He was still pretty young. And I remember watching the Today Show one morning... And Tony Dungy, who was a former coach and uh, fine Christian man and who had been befriended Michael Vick and was mentoring Michael Vick, he was being interviewed. And Matt Lauer asked Tony Dungy this question. Do you think Michael Vick has earned a second chance? And, and Tony Dungy said, yes, I think he has. And part of me said, that's awesome. That's good, because we all hope we get second chances. In fact, we all hope we get second, third, fourth, fifth, thousandth chances, right? And it's good that, he, that people should give him second chances. But almost immediately after that, I thought, no, he's wrong. Because he doesn't earn a second chance. You're just given a second chance. And there's something of the gospel in, in that. And it's not about what we earn. It's not about what we do. It's not how much we dig in order to find God. It's about how open and receptive we are about God finding us. We complicate it so much when all the while Jesus is standing on the shore of the river... Give us grace to surrender. Open our eyes.
pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We invite you to stand as we sing together a closing hymn, number 312.